This week on a lively experiment, a retrospective on the 2022 elections. How did the youth vote factor here in Rhode Island and nationally? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel with an academic perspective, Emily Lynch, political science professor at the University of Rhode Island, URI graduate student in political science, Mary Lynn, and Juliana Lapore, news editor for URI's student newspaper, The Good Five Cent Cigar. Hello and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. While the political pundits and candidates continue to dissect the results of the midterm elections, the focus is beginning to shift over the next several months to the 2024 presidential election cycle. This week, we have something a little different for you. The view from a university campus, how engaged were students and other young adults in the political process, and what are the issues future candidates should be paying attention to affecting millennials and Gen Z? Professor, let me begin with you. Um, you had a lot to talk about. You teach American politics. What were your takeaways from the election with a couple of weeks separation now? Right. So I think the, the biggest takeaway was that we did not see the red wave that was expected, that we heard uh, within the media, within pundits. Uh, so I think nationally as well as uh, state statewide, that was kind of the key takeaway in the election. Were you surprised in the governor's race that it was a 20-point <laughs> margin? They, we thought maybe he would win, but maybe not by that much. I wasn't surprised. Uh, if we look back to 2018, uh, at that point, Lieutenant Governor McKee earned 61% of the vote. Uh, so I think coming into this election, he had a lot of support. Um, and of course, uh, there's always this, this coverage to, and, and concern over uh, if Kalis may, may uh, make some strides and we, we didn't see it. Uh, I think what's interesting though in that race is that Kalis, an amateur politician um, with uh, little to no Rhode Island roots, uh, gained or earned 38% of the vote. And we look back to the most uh, other recent uh, gubernatorial elections and uh, Alan Fung got less than that. Mm. I mean, of course we have to think about the, the moderate party um, in 2014, 2018, kind of um, taking away some votes from the two major party candidates. But I think that that was pretty impressive of Kayleth. What did you take away, Mary? Um, I, like, similarly to that, I was not surprised that um, Mickey won by such a huge amount. Like, even uh, if he wasn't, like, everyone's, like, favorite candidate, like, he is the, he was the Democratic candidate. He's been around Rhode Island for a while. Ashley Kalis is relatively new here. Um, and I think just with some of the things that are happening in the country right now, like, Roe versus Wade, like, Rhode Island's codified that already, but I think... Uh, having a Republican in the governor's office wouldn't sit right with a lot of Rhode Islanders. Like, Rhode Island's a blue state, traditionally. Um, I think it was very much voting with the party sort of thing. Um, 
so I wasn't surprised to see that he won by that much, but like you said, Professor, I was surprised that Ashley Kalis was able to get as much of the vote as she did. Any surprises for you? Um, I would say I wasn't too shocked, you know, like, like Mary said, we're a blue state. Um, I think that people will kind of vote blue, um, no matter what. And I think, yeah, it was, um, a little shocking, the staggering difference, um, between the race, the votes, but I, yeah, I wasn't too shocked to see that, especially, like she said, because Asha Kalis was um, newer to the state. There's a lot, there's been a lot of retrospection. The Republicans will now, the, the word is, well, we really weren't predicting the red wave. And, you know, some didn't. But I wonder, as you break that down, is it as simple as there were a lot more young people? The, the traditional votes always used to be 20 years ago, you wanted to concentrate on the older vote voters because those are the ones who always went to the poll, no matter what. And now, I think, to their peril, some candidates have ignored young, the Gen Z millennials. Where did they factor into this election? I, um, I think that um, Generation Z had a huge um, impact on this election. Um, as I'm learning in school and stuff, the red wave was kind of blocked by the, uh, the younger generation that went out to vote. I think that... Um, I'll say us because I'm included in the uh, that generation, but I think that we are very um, passionate and we're very uh, topics-based rather than party-based, and I think that we care a lot about certain issues, and we will do anything that we can to kind of make sure that our voices are heard, and I think that we um, played a large role in this election. You're, you're right in the middle of that, too. I see you nodding your head. Yeah. <laughs> what do you um, think? No, I definitely agree with Juliana. Um, like, very topics-based, and just because of, like, all the things that have happened in the last couple of years, like, as we've been coming of age, like, I was... 16 when Donald Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. um, I went to like the women's marches. Um, I was a senior in high school when the Parkland shooting happened. Like I went to um, like a bunch of like protests around that. And um, so people our age have been getting like, very, very involved with that. Um, COVID hit when we were high school, college. Mm -hmm. um, and just everything that's come out of that, I think we've all become much more aware of things that are happening in politics, we're seeing more how it affects us, and we're realizing that um, we're realizing that we're a demographic that often gets ignored, and that's you know that's frustrating because we are such a big part of the electorate, and uh, you know we're going to be like entering the workforce even more soon than we already have. It's it's frustrating to see that we're often being ignored by campaigns, and I think that's another big thing that's motivating us to get involved um pretty much everybody i know went to vote and was encouraging like other people to vote um which i don't which was not the case in 2018 but in 2020 2022 um it's gotten a lot stronger did that play out nationally you think well i think we have to look at the um states on a case-by-case -case basis where we could look at the battleground states and there's a lot of uh talk about Pennsylvania and an increase in young adults voting there. So um, we, we may want to look at it, uh, if we want to look at it, like the uh, entire country, we've, they, we've, there have been some surveys 
uh, and and exit poll. Well, right now we have the exit polls that we're looking at. We want to pause and maybe wait till all of the election results come out before we make a broad assumption that it was due to the young adults. Um, and what we have seen in, in 2018, um, what, there was actually a, a record level of voting in 2018 as well as 2020. Um, and it looks like it's slightly less of a turnout from uh, compared to 2018. So um, I think one thing that is concerning uh, to me is that the Globe covered uh, registration rates of young adults and they um, showed differences between 2018 and 2022 and uh, Rhode Island had the second largest decline in registration rates for young adults. Yeah. So and then if you look at the Secretary of State's office and their data, uh, when young adults are registered, they turn out. There are higher levels of turnout among uh, young, uh, the Gen Z uh, generation versus millennials in 2020. But you've got to be registered to be able to turn out. Exactly. What do you make of that? Is that does that surprise you? It surprises me. Yes and no. Um, that's interesting about 2018 because at least among the people I know, like way more people voted in 2020 and 2022. But I think a possible reason for that could be like a lot of people, myself included, honestly, are very frustrated with like the way um, like Democrats have been like running things like both at the state level and the national level, like Joe Biden ran on all these campaign promises, like we're going to cancel student debt and mm -hmm. a bunch of other things and haven't really followed through. They're not as willing to like stand up to Republicans the way Republicans kind of fight back with the Democrats. So I think a lot of just disappointment and feeling like their vote like wouldn't really matter. Um, is kind of what's leading to that because people are like, well, I voted so like I voted blue in 2020 and nothing really happened. So what's the point? And I think that's concerning for for young adults when when they aren't voting to the state, there's still that gap of turnout among other generations. Um, so you're exactly right how uh, the the elected officials who are they going to pay the most attention to? Those who go out and vote. Mm -hmm. So they're ignoring the young adults and the issues of student loans, um, education in general. Students in my classes are really concerned about education, not only higher education, but K through 12 education. Yeah. And I didn't see that as being a big talking point in the elections. How big yeah. a deal is climate change? I think it's largely important. I think that that's also one of the things that um, my generation cares strongly about. Um, and I think, you know, the clock is ticking kind of to get everything to look a little bit better and to fix what we've caused. And yeah, so I think that's a huge issue. That it's interesting what you said on. about what did my vote do, basically, right, yeah. for 2020. And I wonder if some, now they passed the big climate change package. Some of this stuff is incremental. You won't know. But I wonder whether that factored in. Everybody's different. But what were you looking for in this year in, in candidates when you were both locally and nationally? What, what, was, what were some of the issues that were top for you? I would say um, I think that Roe versus Wade had a huge effect on the way that people um, like something that people looked out for when they were voting this year. I think that women's rights, abortion rights, all of that was a huge um, thing for me. 
Um, I would say also the um, economy was huge for me as well because I'm graduating in two years. Like I want to be able to get a job after I graduate. I want the economy to be in a good state. And you know, I also I'm a this semester I moved into an off-campus house. I'm like a first-time renter. I'm paying. how's that going? It's going. It's going. <laughs> how's it's that going writing that check well. every month? <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. It's like you know our electricity bill comes in and we're like wow that's a lot of money. Um, and I would like gas to not be so expensive. So I think that those two were um, very big for me. You know, I year. also wonder, Emily, on the national level, all politics is local, but it, what we've heard kind of in retrospect is it's not only Roe, it's some of the gun rights things. Yes. Some people see the Supreme Court, because look, the Republicans, it was all about federal judges and, and their version <laughs> of packing the court, not literally, but getting their people on there. I wonder if some of the voters looked at that and thought we need a check and balance because we're going, the Supreme Court is so out of step with a lot of Americans' opinions these days. Do you think that factored in? Right. I mean, I think you make a good point of we can look at the docket this year of what are the, some of these key issues. Mm -hmm. um, and it's affirmative action in higher ed. It's LGBTQ rights, mm -hmm. um, anti-discrimination rights uh, versus free speech. Uh, there's, uh, there's another case on um, uh, looking at redistricting and, uh, and the effect on people of color. Um, there's also another case on uh, wetlands, wetland protection. So in all big so, stuff. Yeah, these mm -hmm. are big issues, um, and and they're going to they could have big consequences of what is going to happen. Um, but. Back to what Juliana said about uh, abortion, that in the national polls, that was the bit, yeah. that was the main issue for young adults. Yeah. Um, and then if we look at a broader scale of, of um, what the pollsters, what they were finding of the main issues, there are the three main issues were the economy, be it um, just economy in general, inflation, cost of living, mm -hmm. uh, also, uh, democracy, the state of democracy, both Republicans and Democrats, a majority of them were concerned about the state of democracy. Mm -hmm. um, and then abortion being that third main issue for um, the electorate. So we have, what's interesting is we have Republicans and Democrats trying to own each of these issues. And, and it's working with their, their voters, right, of, of trying to own who's, the, who's going to do the best with improving our economy, you know, who is going to strengthen our democracy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of like campaign ads that I saw, like the only one of the only Seth Magaziner ads I saw uh, was everywhere. It was about abortion and specifically talking about how Alan Fung would not protect your right um, to get an abortion if he was elected to um, the House. Uh, and a lot of the Alan Fung ads I saw were about Seth Magaziner wants to like raise your cost of living with all these like climate change plans he has. And oh, well, yeah, cost of living is definitely high like my rent is crazy like um like I've just like seen grocery prices go up mm -hmm. electric bill prices go up as all of us have I think a lot of us were kind of forced to make a choice between like do we want to have like these rights and like climate change be protected or do we want to vote for someone where that might not happen and our cost of living is going to go down mm -hmm. it was very it was a difficult choice yeah. to to make um and from talking with like other people my age or like um, some students I work with in your class, like abortion was definitely the top issue. Yeah, because nationally, 
14%, inflation's over above 30, but you make a great point about that demographic about for young people that if you polled it was way way up and are those again it gets back to are those the people going to the polls right right exactly yeah where does social media fit in you think these days social media i think has done a lot of good but i think it has also done a lot of harm um i think that social media kind of polarized everything um and it's very hard. I mean, it's literally impossible. If you like one thing on your social media that is like about a Republican, something about any sort of rights that Republicans view, the algorithm physically will not let you see anything on the other side. Like it is like wired manipulation. Yes, it it is wired to never show you anything from the other side again. So people have become so polarized because they physically cannot see the other side and they physically cannot um, like get into conversations without it being very um, intense and stuff like that. And I think that social media has played a really large role into it. However, I do think that most people nowadays, especially in my generation, do get their news um, from social media. And how many people do you know in your class, you see those surveys, they're either getting all their news from social media or they're watching the late night comedy shows. I mean, not, (laughs) not all of us here are plugged in, but the average person who's just trying to go to class and maybe they have a part time job and they're trying to do all of that that's the easiest way to get it, which is kind of depressing, isn't it? (laughs) Right. I think that's the concern of um, young adults not uh, going to their newspapers, Mm -hmm. going to TV, radio, the traditional news uh, sources, and relying on social media where they may not be getting the the full story, Mm -hmm. just the sound bites just you know the headlines yeah um, so and there's a concern for misinformation and because uh, the news. algorithms telling them what they want to hear right yeah exactly so it's mm. that echo chamber what about exactly. that you grew up in the in the age of social mm. media it's part of your everyday life yeah I can't imagine like what my life would be like without social media at this point for better or for worse um, and I personally will see a lot of my news on social media but it's because I I follow like like legacy like news outlets like I follow the New York Times I follow a bunch of like local Rhode Island news sources I follow sources from like a bunch of different places across the world but like you have to really really look for sources that are not in line with your views like you definitely get caught in an echo chamber and like what you were saying about like the late night shows um, or social media there's a lot of like paywalls around Mm -hmm. prominent news sources that are just not realistic for students to be able to pay for which is unfortunate because it's like really good news is behind paywalls but also some of the late night shows I do a like, pretty good job with like reporting on things like last week tonight with John Oliver he um, is, he's a little bit vulgar but he um, actually does some really in-depth reporting about a lot of important topics and because it's like so funny and like the episodes are available for free on YouTube I think it's a really it's a thing that a lot of people my age watch because it's accessible it's like it's funny like it's not it doesn't feel like a typical like new show I guess it's very um attractive to younger voters I guess and just younger people in general and I think there's political science research that shows Mm. that young adults can learn through some of these late night comedy shows Um, they can learn more about politics and have higher levels of political knowledge Um, they may become a bit more cynical though (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. that's one of the the drawbacks (laughs) 
<laughs> it's funny. I, I was on vacation once. Um, we were in a far out spot where I didn't get any cell reception. You know, to me, it was the best day of my life. Nobody could get a hold of me. And I thought as this whole discussion about Twitter goes on this week and Elon Musk and some of his problems, that if Twitter does go down the tube, I would really love to see, particularly some of the reporters in the in the uh, in the market and others, what would it be like for, to have Twitter go down for five days? You know, yeah. I mean, for better, for worse. Right. But yeah. it, and then you'd have to so, some people, that's only the place they get yeah. all their stuff. Right. Exactly. It and, would be definitely chaos. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder, Emily, too, with the, whether a lot of people were just tired of the chaos. The Republican Party has been the right wing of the Republican Party. There has been so much craziness under the Trump years and then coming out. I wonder what some of these candidates like the guy who was running for governor in Pennsylvania and other places and Carrie Lake was in. in and that was a you realize she came within a hair of becoming she's a big election denier. You wonder whether some voters were just tired of all of that. And they said, let's get back to some normality. Yeah, I think I think that's a part of the big takeaway of why there's that lack of the red wave that um, people were um, pushed back against the election deniers. Mm -hmm. Um, and those candidates that were supported by Trump or um, were election deniers, a, a lot of them lost. Um, so I think that is that's a key takeaway from from the election. We were looking here locally with some of the, um, you know, the uh, Matt Brown had put a together the Rhode Island political cooperative, which really didn't do that well. And in that race, we were talking about down in Warwick to succeed Mike McCaffrey as majority leader. There were actually some establishment Democrats that backed the Republican rather than the progressive. What did you think about that? I found that very frustrating. Um, I'm like more of a progressive myself, but regardless, I think that uh, if like you're the Democratic Party, you should back the Democratic candidate. It's a very bad look for you to back a Republican candidate because it makes you wonder, oh, well, do they really care about the issues that are important to Democratic voters or do they care about getting their own agendas through? Because a lot of Democrats are, um, well, a lot of people who vote Democrat are leaning towards the more progressive side. So I think it puts off potential voters too. Um, and it's got a sting for the candidate not being backed by the party they're running for and not having that support. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me that like the Democratic Party is not backing their own candidates. I don't think it's very, I don't know. It's, it's unkind. It doesn't it's seem professional. right. It doesn't. Yeah. So on campus, what was the get out the vote like? Did you see, I mean, you're plugged into the newspaper, so you got various levels. You got yeah. council, I don't know how many, and some people are in Narragansett, some people are in South Kingstown, mm -hmm. and then you have state rep. Did, did they make any effort, the candidates that you saw, to reach out to the student population? Not really. Um, I mean, the CD2 uh, forum was at URI, so I guess that was a sort of effort to kind of connect to the campus, but I didn't really see much of that. I think that more people, um, like actually in terms of how many students actually voted, I think that most people registered to vote um, in Narragansett for the sake of the Narragansett Town Council elections um, because there's been this ongoing battle with the three-person ordinance and stuff like that. And it's very difficult to uh, find a place to live at URI right now because of that. So I think um, from what I understand that like over 400 students uh, who have addresses in Narragansett registered to vote in Narragansett um, to kind of have our voices heard um, 
uh, against the residents. Yeah, all the politics is local. I also wonder how many, <laughs> you want to add, a, add to that? Well, I, I just wanted to add that I think housing is a big issue. Yes. And I think this is something that we need to pay attention to. And, and it should be um, a, a topic that our elected officials should be handling straight yeah. on. And it, mm -hmm. at, this happens at the, the local, state, and national level. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a concerted effort. It's affecting, if we look at um, uh, URI students, it has a, a big impact on the lack of housing in the Kingston area for, for young adults. It's happening in Providence as well um, with uh, the city council members, town council members mm -hmm. trying to restrict the amount of students that can be in housing houses. So, um, yeah. So this is an issue that is affecting everyone. Maybe perhaps there's a bipartisan way to, to reach some sort of agreement or also um, uh, somehow come up with a comprehensive plan at all of these different levels to uh, support uh, lower income housing. And coupled with student loans, I mean, if you yeah. have student loans and you're just getting out and you're trying to find a place to live, they always used to say, what, 25, 30% of your income should go toward housing. Well, that's kind of gone out the window just because of the prices, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The rental. All right, let's do this. We are, believe it or not, the show is moving along. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to short you guys. We'll come back to maybe some national stuff. Let's start with an outrage or a kudo. Mary, did you bring either this week? Yes, I did. I brought an outrage, and it's actually about uh, the potential downfall of Twitter. Um, I use Twitter. But Is that an outrage or a kudo? It's an outrage. <laughs> um, I use Twitter like I've got a personal Twitter account and I have more of a professional Twitter account. So my personal one, like I connect with my friends, like uh, I stay in touch with people who like a lot of my friends, we all live in different states after graduation. Um, I follow like celebrities and stuff like that. And like, I don't know, like meme accounts, parody accounts, that kind of thing. But on my professional Twitter, uh, I follow a lot of like local journalists, I follow um, people in the field I want to get into, um, and I think losing Twitter is going to be a huge loss, not only for socializing, but for news and political campaigns, but also just for the purposes of like research. Like I saw something on Twitter <laughs> the other day about how it's going to be very difficult to do like research papers or like write books about all the things that have happened in the last however many years since Twitter's been a thing since like 2008 if Twitter goes down because those things are not going to be around. Juliana, what do you have? I said um, kudos, I have a kudos, and it is to uh, the young voters who got out uh, this election cycle, whether it was in Rhode Island or not. Um, I think that a lot of us are finally of age uh, this election to actually be able to vote, and I think that uh, a lot of us went out and made our voices heard. That's a good one. Emily, what do you have? My kudos was the same as Juliana, <laughs> as that um, I believe that, you know, I'm, I'm really excited that students are engaged in politics. We had students that attended the forum at URI and other debates at RIC. Um, we have students here that are engaged in politics. <laughs> um, and I think that's a positive um, outlook for the future. I heard there might have been some extra credit involved from some professor <laughs> to get as an incentive. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? You were on the uh, you were on the panel uh, mm -hmm. for the for the CD two for the CD two. Yeah, the CD two. What was that like being there with the other 
guys, the old guys asking the questions. <laughs> it was like the most incredible experience for me um, being able to do that. I had never really uh, dipped my toes into political journalism before that. Um, so it was a little nerve wracking and I was doing a lot of researching, a lot of asking around to my friends to kind of see what they cared about the most to kind of base my questions off of what the majority of students would uh, care about. But it was definitely an interesting and crazy experience. Yeah. Uh, you right me. in there. Well, yeah. you know, folks, I'm making an executive decision. I wanted to talk a little bit about the presidential elections in 24. So you know what? We're going to do an online bonus segment. We call it uh, Lively Extra. <laughs> so for, you're like, you thought you would escape. We're going to do a little bit more online. For those of you who can't join us, Mary and Emily and Juliana, so great to have you. The rest you. go right now to ripbs.org slash lively. We'll do another couple of minutes on presidential elections. Uh, we are heading into the home stretch. We hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving week next week. Again, join us online if you can't. Otherwise, come back next week as a lively experiment continues. is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.